Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. We're continuing our Tartan Talk series by having a conversation with Trip Davis. And we caught up with Trip at the Golf Industry Show in San Antonio. We figured Texas would be the perfect place to have a conversation with Trip because he's doing a lot of work in the state right now. But before we get going with Trip, we would like to thank Better Billy Bunker for supporting this podcast, Better Billy Bunker, is not only a huge supporter of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, Better Billy Bunker supports a number of industry efforts, including the work of golf course superintendents. So we're glad to have Better Billy Bunker on board, and we were glad that Trip was able to make some time for us. We're recording this at the Golf Industry Show in San Antonio, which isn't too far for where some of your projects are. So when you come to an event like this, what do you try to get out of it? What are some of the goals of a golf course architect at a show like the golf industry show? Well, for me, it's it's more about you know having a hub or a place where uh, current clients can come see us and uh, you know people I've worked with before. Uh, we don't necessarily look at it as a as a place where we're going to um, pick up new work. Um, and I think it's important to support the industry in whatever way you can. And so by buying a booth here and 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 exhibiting it, it it obviously helps the show in some little small way and and i think that's important um i've always felt like in, in the industries of any kind if you give you're going to get back and and i think this is more of a giving effort than it is a getting effort what type of relationships do you have with the golf course superintendents you work with and how do you integrate them into some of your design processes well the it's a becomes a close relationship i mean uh, actually some of my better friends are superintendents that we've worked with uh, either recently or over the years and um, it, uh, it, it the first thing you have to do is you got to establish the relationship that we're as an architect we're there to help him um, and to make his job um, not always easier, but you know, give him the opportunity to shine more on his own. You know, what we're always trying to do is to get them to be a part of the of the decision-making process. But you know, but I definitely don't like to come in and say, "Hey, this is what I'm doing." You know, you've got to figure it out on your own. Uh, it's got to be a collaboration in sorts. And um, it's hard for some superintendents because we're coming in to the place they work every day, and this is their baby. And we're coming in to do things that they may not understand always or agree with. And, and uh, uh, it's, it takes some time to foster that relationship in, in, you know, in places. But we want to be a part of helping them be able to do their job better and, and, and shine more. What's the dialogue like after a project? is completed how often do you talk to some of the superintendents you work with afterwards well you know some of the a lot of the work that we're doing these days is is really phased renovation so you know we might have finished two or three holes over here and we've still got you know we're, we're doing two or three holes now and we might have two or three six eight holes whatever in the future so a lot of the times what we're seeing now is we're working with guys um, over a 10 15 year period um, where we're, we're there as a consulting golf course architect. So a lot of these projects are phased. And when we're doing uh, complete renovations, restorations, like we did at Oak Hills and, uh, in San Antonio and like we did at Northwood in Dallas, after those projects are done, our role is really to kind of make sure, and we actually uh, have a formal process that we work with some clubs on, where our, jo our job is to make sure that superintendent is, is able to maintain design intent. Uh, so, like a couple of clubs we're working with right now, I'm going in uh, 
twice a year and we're sitting down with the superintendent and saying, you know, all right, you know, this area was intended to be firm. You know, we're having some trouble holding too much moisture here. What's the issue there? And, and uh, it's meant to be more of a tool so that the superintendent can explain to the membership um, um, as much as anything what design intent is. Uh, because a lot of them start to develop their own perception of what design intent should be, you know, in terms of maintenance. And so this helps. Before we went on the air, you, you joked that you live in Oklahoma, but you spend more time here in Texas. What's unique about working on a Texas site? Well, they're different. I mean, um, you know, we've we've worked on, um, even just this year, I mean, when we did Oak Hills in San Antonio and, and, and Northwood uh, in Dallas, and then we did um, uh, Willowbrook out in Tyler. I mean, you're talking about three totally different sites. Uh, Willowbrook's rolling hills with big pine trees and real sandy soil. Uh, Northwood is uh, rolling to some extent, but um, big live oak trees and really clay soil, you know, thick, black, nasty stuff. And then Oak Hills was huge live oaks, you know, really old live oaks, really rolling terrain and very rocky, you know, beneath. And so, um, you don't have to go very far in Texas to really find a lot of different variations in, in soil types and, and so forth. And so it's kind of interesting because you're always having to adapt design styles to, to fit very different, unique sites down here. Um, you know, and I, we do a lot of work in the Northeast. And so um, uh, Texas this year happened to be uh, last year and, and really in 2016. It seems like we're going to be doing a lot of work down here because the industry here is just kind of, uh, there's a lot of work here. Um, and I don't mind not traveling too far to do that. <laughs> what goes into selecting a, a grass for a Texas golf course? There are a bunch of different varieties that can grow in Texas, and some might be easier to grow here than others, but clubs might want to go a different route. What is that select? selection process like in a state where you can do some different things with it? Well, it used to be simple. I mean, everybody in Texas used 419, Tipway 419 Bermuda up, up until recently. And so um, we've had a bunch of different uh, grasses introduced that have become uh, more, more uh, feasible and are, are providing better product. There's some, uh, there's two different Bermudas that have come out of Oklahoma State that um, one's called North Bridge and one is called uh, Latitude 36. And uh, they've raised the, the bar as it relates to fairway grasses and tea grasses. And, uh, and then the zoysias. Um, David Duguay and the guys down at Blade Runner have, and with Dr. Engelke out of A&M have developed you know, an extraordinary variety of grass types that you can use with zoysia. And uh, so a lot of it, some of it has to do with microclimates. Um, if you're on a really shaded golf course, for instance, uh, some of the zoysias are going to have a lot more application. If you're on a you know big open windy site, you know you might be able to get away with some of the more of the Bermudas because uh, you know of, of lack of shade. And so um, also some has to do with cost because the zoysias, uh, if sodded, can be a little more expensive, and the sprigging takes a little longer. Um, so it, it you know the the level of uh, quality that uh, you can afford to put in. Um, I find the zoysias to be exceptional. I think the, the latitude and the north bridge are also very good in the right application. And so um, uh, we have, you know, it used to, like I said, you know, we weren't really, there wasn't much selection 10 mm -hmm. years ago. And today it's almost such that I really want the superintendent to be very involved in that because um, um, he's going to have to take care of it. And you've got if you've got four different types of grasses on the golf course, he really needs to be the one to understand why those were selected. Do you think we're close to seeing zoysia grass on greens? Is that something that's been 
talked about in any of your projects? And do you think we're close to that moment where that, that might enter the discussion process? It's there. I mean, we, we, uh, when we did Northwood, um, we used M85 Zoysia on the, on the greens on the short course. Um, it's going to, I think there's going to be a lot of people that are not going to be afraid to use it in practice facilities or in short courses. Um, and I think it's going to take a little time for it to, uh, eventually develop where it starts getting put on, uh, regulation, you know, um, you know, the big course, if you will. Now I know there's a few golf courses. I think there's one near here that has, uh, the M85 on the greens and uh, it's a public course and that's you know obviously it take a little more traffic and so forth but like you know for a colonial or for a Northwood or a, an Oak Hills to actually use one of the zoysias on the greens um, I think it's going to take some time but um, what I'm seeing is that there's definitely application there and I think it won't be long before you'll see a really high quality or high end golf course that is zoysia tee to green. So this is kind of a funny question here as we go to talk about yourself. What is it like being a University of Oklahoma graduate who had a successful golf career, and I think you know where this is headed at the University of Oklahoma, coming into Texas and trying to get work with so many uh, University of Texas alums? Well, uh, we, we have a few alums in, in, in Texas as well. So uh, I grew up in Georgia, and okay. so I grew up around the Georgia-Georgia Tech um, uh, rivalry. And when I went to Oklahoma, you know, there you had the Oklahoma – Oklahoma State rivalry to some extent, but it doesn't even come close to comparing to the Oklahoma-Texas rivalry. And uh, and it's mainly football. You know, you don't really see it in basketball and so much. Uh, I, and uh, But it's it's really interesting. And uh, I've become good friends with a lot of Texas graduates. And so, like, Justin Leonard and I did a golf course together in Dallas. Um, ben Crenshaw and I have become good friends. And um, I don't see him very often, but, you know, he's he's been very – nice and encouraging to me and and then uh, there's a number of members at uh, Preston Trail in Dallas that that we redid 10 years ago and we're going back in this summer to touch up a little bit in places a uh, number of members there are the Texas graduates so there's always that little bit of they think they're better than we are and uh, they're the tea sippers and all that but generally speaking they've always treated me with respect and I'm sure there's some biases by some guys, but you know I'm not I'm not worried about it. Yeah, do you feel like you've ever lost a, a project because you went to the University of Oklahoma? I don't know for sure, and I'm not really even thought about it, but I'm sure that I have. <laughs> I don't know a specific case because when I when I don't get a project, I'm pretty good about just moving on. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't dwell on it. I don't try and figure out why we didn't get it, and you know, and I don't look for reasons why we may not get a project when we're in the process. Um, it's really more about being a good fit, and and I don't necessarily try to upsell myself, or you know, especially don't try to put anyone else down. Uh, you don't, you know, in our business, I know it goes on where you know, our, you know, some guys will say that guy's not a right fit for you, or you know, or try to say that you know you got to go check out this mistake they made somewhere, and that's not. Um, we, we don't really see that much, and so and I don't adhere to that, so. Um, it's more about being a good fit. And so, you know, if you lose a project because the owner went to Texas or something like that, you're just not a good fit. How does being an excellent player help you in the job that you have? And in some ways, did it maybe hurt you early in your career too? Explain uh, just being an excellent golfer and what type of impact that has on your work. Well, the, the, the one thing that definitely helps me for sure, in my opinion, is that um, – uh, 
the game is very visual and what we do as architects is extremely visual and so the ability to understand how when you change design it's going to impact what the player sees and how that impact impacts you know has has an impact on the way the game is played that's critical and that's something you can't teach that's something you really have to experience to some extent and so knowing how a golfer's eye will move um, and, and and how as a good player you can uh, use the way your eye moves to help yourself play better teaches you as an architect how to move the player's eye in a way that challenges things and subtly it's a very subtle part of the, the challenge of the game uh, so that's important to me and I think also understanding um, um, that there's a difference between tough uh, design and, and strategic and option-oriented design, or what I call reasonable design. Because anybody can design something that's exceptionally difficult. Um, but it takes someone, I think, who really understands the way the game is played to design something that can be challenging but still reasonable. I don't like to use the word fair. I think, that's a, an, that's a, I think reasonable is a better way to look at it. And, and so that's helped. I think the way that it, it hurt me in some respects is um, I think I've always looked at and, and understood that there needs to be a playable side of what we do, that there need to be options that give the average or shorter player uh, room to play. Um, but I think at times, especially with green design, I, I think I've uh, uh, maybe, um, and I've learned this, is that you, you know, you've got to be careful to not make greens too severe. Um, I think that's what a lot of guys will do. Again, it makes, you know, making a, a green difficult uh, is not that difficult to do um, as a designer, but making, a, you know, building greens that can be challenging for the better player but still playable, that's, a, that's one of the most difficult things we do. How do you feel about the length of golf courses today? Obviously, that's been in the news a lot with the golf ball discussion. Where do you, where do you fall on that topic? Well, um, I definitely think that the golf courses, in my opinion, are too long. I, I have talked to a lot of the guys that play professionally, you know, and in my own playing um, as a good amateur player. Um, I'm trying to find length because the golf courses that I'm being given to play in competition require length. And um, so I think one of the things, I think we've done it to ourselves as architects and as, design, and as you know, guys that do course setup. Um, I think the reason why we're seeing, uh, you know, a Dustin Johnson or a Kevin Toy that's hitting it as far as they do without as much regard for accuracy is because design and course setup allows them to do it. We've accommodated length. We haven't done anything necessarily to challenge it. When you add length to a golf course, you're not challenging length. You're making it, um, you're accommodating it, and you're actually giving them a greater advantage. And so I think some of the refrain from you know changing some of the older, more classic golf courses into design that that does curtain length or at least helps it stay in balance with uh, a player that's shorter and more accurate or more precise is is what we've got to do. Uh, um, at some point along the way, we started to real or there were the the more people started to value length as a strength over. Uh, being more accurate or more precise. Uh, you know, it used to be that precision in the game was the most valued asset a player could have, tee to green, and today it seems like it's, uh, it's length. I don't think changing the ball is going to end up being a necessarily a, a universal uh, option um, to, to curtail length to bring it back in. I think if you've got a shorter golf course that um, uh, 
it, you know, doesn't have the room to become 7,800 yards long, you got to do something tee to green mm -hmm. to keep the longer player from being able to use their length as an advantage. And in my opinion, if we played a colonial every every week on tour, if we played the you know a Harbor Town or any of these courses that are shorter and, and require a lot more precision and don't allow length to be an advantage. Uh, Pine Valley is a great example as well. You would not see the players playing the balls in the clubs they have today because those golf courses would not favor hitting it without spin, without, uh, you know, and you don't, length wouldn't necessarily be an advantage. And so that's where I fall on it. There, a lot of superintendents tell me that sometimes at their clubs it's a few low handicappers that make the decisions for everybody. How, how do you silence that group of people and how do you get the other 99% at the club more involved in the process when you're planning or pitching a project? Well, um, I'm actually finding that when we when we integrate in the better player, and we're, we're doing a pretty good job, too. One of the things I do ask at our, our clients is, is that when we have a, com a committee put together, and I don't like these committees to get very big, but I do like to have representation from the entire uh, entirety of the playing membership. So, you know, it's good to have a good player involved. It's good to have a mid-handicap player involved. It's good to get a lady involved. And to get them into uh, um, being able to see how the process works, being able to contribute. The better players tend to want to see us, and they fall into that group that they want to see the golf course tougher. And they're worried that anything we do is going to make it easier. And uh, I try to explain to them that it's not about how long a golf course is, it's about how good it is. It's not how difficult a hole is, it's how good it is. And the game's hard enough. I mean, a three handicap player is not such an expert at the game to the extent that they're going to just be able to tear it up no matter what we do. And so um, we tend to try to want to use strategy and subtleties to challenge players more. And that, that is hard to get through the, to the higher, better players because the better players want to see bold, difficult design a lot of the time. Obviously, because you were such a good player, you could have probably made money playing golf. You chose a different route. Talk about that decision you made close to 30 years ago and how glad are you that you took the path that you did? Well, I was, I was a good college player. I mean, I, I, made, I was an All-American one year in my senior year at Oklahoma. And I tried to play for a little while. And, uh, I would have been one of those guys if I'd have made, eventually made it on tour. I'd probably it would have been a journey, you know, six, seven, eight, nine-year journey to get out on tour, and and a lot of my friends did that, and you know, have done real well. Glenn Day, you know, uh, did that and uh, has done really well for himself. He was one of the guys I played with at Oklahoma. Todd Hamilton, for instance, you know, that played at Oklahoma with me, uh, ended up in Japan playing Asian tour, and he really took I think ten years to get over on the PGA tour. So. I, I liked playing the game because I enjoyed playing the game. And, you know, I literally, when I was playing in the Oklahoma Open, uh, the, the fall after I finished my eligibility to Oklahoma, I was a professional at that point, and I didn't really have great sponsorship. And so I was about to go broke, and I made about a three-foot, four-foot putt on my second, on the 18th hole of my second round to make the cut. And I was so nervous, I went in and just puked in, in, in the locker room. And I said, this is it. I, uh, I got to find something else to do because I love playing the game, but I didn't like playing uh, for a living. I, that was, I wasn't cut out that way. And so um, I always wanted to be a golf course architect when I was a kid. And so it, um, I'm really fortunate to have been able to pursue that and achieve that. What are the relationships like on this side of the business, the relationships you have with some of the contractors and superintendents and people you worked with compared to the relationships that maybe you would 
have had if you had played competitive golf? Well, if I'd have played competitive golf, uh, one, I might have not been, uh, I would have probably been pretty poor. <laughs> so I don't know if I'd ever come across any of these guys because I was, I was a g good player, but I don't think I was ever going to play and make a living playing professionally. But um, um, I value the relationships I've had with builders and with golf course superintendents. They're, they're salt of the earth type of people. And uh, that's, you know, that's what I grew up around. Uh, you know, I, I grew up um, in Georgia and, you know, my family was all, you know, most, a lot of my family were farmers and factory workers. And, and so I was, I grew up around um, really just good hearted people and most superintendents and builders are that way. Um, and it's just great to spend time and, um, and have friends that, uh, um, uh, that have similar values. How much work are you doing on practice facilities? I look at your portfolio and it seems like you've worked on a variety of them. What is it like doing a practice facility for a college program, maybe where you have a lot of space compared to some of the, the ones you have to do at private clubs where there's not a lot of space? Well, the, the, the ones you're doing at, 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 at like the University of Oklahoma yeah. that we did and you know, at some of the other clubs we're working with where we know that there's a, um, there's a, a large contingent of really good players. You're trying to, you're, what you're doing there is you're trying to create a lot of different opportunities for practicing a lot of different types of shots. And, and so you're trying to put that player in a real world situation to where they can, they can learn how to play shots rather than just sitting around executing and working on, on uh, technique. Uh, so one of the big differences between a college practice facility or a practice facility that might be at a tournament event or that might uh, then be at a club where there's a lot of good players, is those practice facilities more as, as much as anything, whether it's the driving range, short game area, maybe practice holes, you're really trying to get the player to uh, into a position where they're playing shots as they would out on the golf course, and they're learning how to play shots versus just executing technique. Now, the difference between that and, and uh, um, at a club where, or in a situation where the, you've got mid-level handicapped players, or there's players that are, you know, trying to get better at certain uh, aspects of the short game, you're trying to teach them technique, and so you need more straightforward type of shots. Well, I mean, when we're doing most of the short game facilities we're doing now, we're making sure that we've got a lot of flat area with not much elevation change to the green. Um, so that players can practice technique. And that's, that's what, I, you know, the mid-handicapped or higher-handicapped players, you, they really need to be practicing technique, whereas the, the better players, the college players, uh, need to be practicing play. What was it like last spring watching the University of Oklahoma win an NCAA title? It was great. Uh, you know, I was, I was, my senior year we won yep. uh, in 89, and, uh, and so... Ron Hibble, the coach there, has been there. I don't know how long Ron's been there now, but it, it doesn't seem like as long as it probably is. But he's been building a, a great program. And we've, we've had a lot of good young players. And uh, Brad Dalkey, for instance, that was a runner for the U.S. Amateur a couple of years ago. And, and uh, so you saw it coming. And uh, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that big of a surprise to me. Um, I'm around the program a little more than I used to be, actually. Even when I first finished school, I was uh, I played for a little while for a couple of years, and then I went back to graduate school where I didn't have time to play, and uh, and now I'm in a position where I can spend more time with, especially since we've been doing so much work with the University of Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma golf courses, and uh, so I was very much involved. I mean, I went to the you know the, the party for the kids after they came back and won, and 
And uh, so we actually got some hats made, or there were hats made that I got a, I got to get one where it says, you know, 2017 and 1989 national champions. And so that was fun. And, and uh, we finished a practice facility for the golf teams there called the Ransom Course um, that they really didn't get to use before they won last year. So I'm excited to see them be able to use that in the coming year, not only for practice, but for Coach Hibble to recruit with. So you've gotten to experience some of the joys of golf at the high competitive levels, and you've got to experience it as an architect. What is something you haven't done in golf yet that you would really like to do in the future? Um, that's a great question because um, for me, I would like to do more course setup, you know, for tournaments. Um, I've gotten to play, you know, what someone else has set up, and um, and we've you know, been able to design um for events that are, you know, we've done a lot of renovations um uh, for golf courses that are going to hold events and actually one of our new courses in dallas old american is going to uh, be the, starting to host lpga event in dallas from here on out and uh so um but it's 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 almost like you're you know you've built something you've 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 tailored it you really you know and then you're almost letting go of the reins and uh when they move the when the tournament moves in and I'd love to be involved in, in setting it up. That's something I've never been able to do. Well, Tripp, this was a lot of fun, and I'm glad we were able to find a uh, quiet place here in the convention center to do this. I really enjoyed the conversation, and congrats on all, all the work you've done. Thank you. I appreciate it.